Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it is living and breathing, and Father, that it ministers to every single heart. Father, I pray that we would be receptive to your word this morning, that you would be our teacher. And Father, I pray that it would be a message that encourages us and exhorts us, Father God, as we look at the fruits of abiding in Christ, when we abide in you, what we can expect to to face in the world that we live in. And Father, I just pray, Lord, you'd help us, Father God, to be the men and women of God that you want us to be. Lord, may your Holy Spirit teach us, Father. May man decrease that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We've been talking the last few weeks about how this is the last hours before Jesus is going to be arrested and then eventually crucified. And from chapters 13 through 17, we see Jesus giving his final words to these 12 guys who've been hanging, well, it's now 11, the apostles who've been hanging out with the the Lord for three years. And during that time, they've seen Jesus perform the miraculous, they've seen him heal people, they've heard him teach the word, they've seen him walking on water, raise the dead, and now he comes and he tells them that he's going to be going away. And he says, where I'm going, you can't come. And we know that that they immediately begin to have troubled hearts and begin to panic. He even said that one of them would betray him, and Judas then left and went out, and it was night, and and Peter, you're going to deny me three times, and And then he says to them, let not your heart be troubled. And as we talked about in chapter 14, he then encouraged them with several promises that even though he was going away, that he was not truly going to leave them alone. He promised them that that they were going to heaven, that Jesus was all they were ever going to need, that they could know the love of the Father, all promises that you and I have today. And so he was encouraging them. And then at the end of chapter 14, he said, now let us rise and go. And we know that he began then to walk with the apostles to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he was walking with them, we saw last week at the beginning of chapter 15 that he taught them what it meant to abide in Christ. And we talked about what that really means. He used the analogy of vine and branches. And remember this, it's so key, and I don't want us to miss this, that a branch that is not grafted into the vine is a dead stick. Amen? If we're not grafted into Jesus, if we're not attached to Him, then we're dead in our trespasses and sins. That's what the Bible very clearly teaches us. And how do we know if we're grafted into the vine? How do we know if we've truly been born again? What is the evidence of it? And we saw last week that it said you will bear some fruit, then it said more fruit, and then it said much fruit. And as believers in Christ, if we are truly grafted into Him, if our life comes from Him, then we will live lives that bear fruit. We will, not, we will be different. We'll not be the person that we used to be. And so we saw last week as he was talking about that, and I find it interesting that remember, as he was walking with them, he's encouraging these guys. He's about to go away. He's going to be leaving the ministry in their hands after he's resurrected and he ascends to the Father, but he's not going to leave them by themselves. But remember, as he was walking, he says to them, I am the true vine. And we talked about the fact that as he was walking, he would walk down through the Kidron Valley, that during the time of Passover, with all the slaying animals being slain, not too long from now, it would be flowing full of blood. And as he walked through the Kidron Valley, he went up the slopes of the Mount of Olives into the Garden of Gethsemane where he would pray. But as he was walking, he would have looked off and he would have seen there was a golden vine that was on the gates of the temple. And as the people would see it, that was a representation to them of Israel. And when he said to them, I am the true vine, he was letting them know that the vine is not the temple. The vine is not the church for us today. We desire to become a part of the church, but we're not saved by the church. Amen? We're not saved by an association or an affiliation. These guys would soon be kicked out of the temple. They would soon not be able to fellowship there anymore. And he's letting them know, look guys, I'm going away, but the vine is not Judaism. The vine is not the nation of Israel. The vine is not the temple. The vine, I am the vine. And he's telling them, guys, when I, when I go away and they kick you out of the temple, as long as you're grafted into me, that's what really matters. I want to encourage you this morning. It's not what church you go to. It's not what affiliation you've lined up with. It's not what membership card that you've signed. It's are you grafted into Jesus Christ? Amen? Is He your best friend? Do you have an intimate relationship with Him? Does the Spirit of the living God live inside of you and flow through you bearing some fruit, more fruit, or much fruit? That's what abiding is all about. And as I said last week, Raul Reese's famous statement, if you're not abiding, you're not going, right? I mean, if we know Jesus Christ... 
We will be abiding in Him, and there will be fruit in our lives. And it's one thing to say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I got the get-out-of-hell-free card, I put it in my wallet, and now I'm living like the world. And that's not what Christianity is. It's a transformed life. Amen? Abiding in Christ, bearing fruit. And without fruit, we're not saved. If there's no fruit in your life, there's no evidence of salvation. You know, the old commercial used to say, where's the beef? And in the church today, we ought to be saying, where's the fruit? Amen? I mean, there should be fruit evident in our lives. Again, and we don't bear fruit so that we will be saved. We don't go do good work so that God will love us. We bear fruit because we're saved. Amen? We bear fruit because our lives have been transformed. We bear fruit because we're grafted into the vine and because we become a part of Him and he, His Spirit lives inside of us. So we pick up this week, having talked about the vine and the branches, and now we're going to move on and take a look at what the evidence is or what we can expect once we've been grafted into Him. What, what are the things that we're going to see in our lives? How are we going to be res- responded to by the world? What are the things that we can look forward to as those who've been called by God, who are grafted in? And we're going to see two really contrasting extremes in our relationship. First, we're going to see that the Lord says that those who abide in Him are His friends. And man, I like that. You are a friend of Jesus if you've been born again. You're not a, a stranger. He's not a faraway, distant God. You're his son, you're his daughter, and you're his friend. Man, I love that. But we're also going to see that not only are we friends with him empowered by his spirit, and that he illuminates truth to us as his friends, but we're also going to see that as we abide in him, that we're also going to face the rejection of the world. The Bible says that we are friends of God and we will be hated by the world. We will, we will, you, friendship with God is enmity with the world, the Bible says, and so too is friendship with the world enmity to God. You know, whatever we're friends with is going to cause enemies on the opposite side. If you love Jesus Christ with your whole heart, you're going to be an enemy of the world. The world will hate you and the world will persecute you. And I'm going to go into detail on what exactly that means as we look at the text this morning. So it's going to result in that, that hatred. Then finally, we're going to see the source in the last two verses of the text this morning, on how we can live lives as friends of God and also dealing with the persecution of the world. So let's begin in verse 12 and take a look at what it means to be a friend of God. Look at verse 12. It says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now it's interesting, he said, the fruit that he described earlier was that we would glorify God, that we'd have joy in our lives, that we'd magnify His name. But then He says to them in verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How do we know who the tru- those who are truly abiding in Christ? How do we know, and can we tell? Now, ultimately, that's God's job to judge anyway. But what is the evidence of someone who's abiding in the vine? The number one evidence is supernatural love. Amen? Does the world love others greater than itself? Does the world esteem its neighbor greater than itself? Is the world willing to lay down its life for, the, for its boss at work? Is the world willing to do those things? The answer is no. And the reason is because it's a supernatural gift that we esteem others greater than ourselves. Remember, I've given you the acronym for joy, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. If you want to have joy, put Jesus first, amen? And then... Esteem others greater than yourself and put yourself last. Happiness is based on your circumstances. Joy is based on abiding in Christ. The deeper you abide, the greater your joy is going to be. It won't be based on how big your house is, how much money you have in the bank, how perfect your circumstances are. If you're waiting for your circumstances to be perfect, to be happy, you're not going to be happy very often. Amen? Most of the time, things are not perfect. There's health problems, there's financial problems, there's things going on with your kids or your family or your parents or whatever. And if you're waiting for things to be perfect, if I could just have this amount of money in the bank, then I'll be happy, right? If I could just get out of debt, if I could just get rid of this, if I could just have that, if my kids would just do this, if they'd be getting straight A's at school, if this was happening, then you're never going to be happy if you got a laundry list to make you happy, amen? You know what? The apostles found out and so did other great men of the Bible. That it's better to be in the den of lions with the Holy Spirit, with the Lord, than it is to be in the palace without Him. 
Darius was up all night long tossed and, and tore up, living in the palace, richest man on the planet, and Daniel's in the lion's den napping. Why? Because he's abiding in the Lord. He's got the spirit of the living God in his life. If you're looking for things of the world to make you happy, you're never going to be happy. Joy comes from him. And then what happens, the manifestation of that, it says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How much does Jesus love us? How much did Jesus love the, the apostles, the disciples? How much did he love those who followed him? It should be supernatural and radical how much we love each other. Amen? And I, I, I want to encourage you. I, I believe you guys are doing a great job. I, I tell you this all the time, that people come and visit, and they always tell me, man, you guys love each other. And that's, praise God. But we can love each other more. Amen? And we can love those who, who hate us. You know, it's easy for me to love you guys. You're pretty lovable people. All right? You're smiling. You're, you're church on Sunday. Man, it's good. I love you guys, right? Sometimes it's not so easy to love the, the neighbor that gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning and fires up his Harley for 20 minutes, right? <laughs> Every week, you know? Oh, hard to love that guy, right? Dude, would you kill it, right? But you know, the reality is that the Lord wants me to love him, too. Amen? But I believe this verse here is talking about believers, and I believe he's commanding us to love one another in such a radical and supernatural way that the world around us will say, what is different about those people? Man, they love each other. And it's a command of God. He doesn't say, I think it would be a good idea that you love each other. He says this, I command you that you love one another. It says in Mark chapter 12, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than this. We know in Galatians 5.22 it says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is what? Love. So what's, the, what's the, the proof text in our lives that we've been touched by the Spirit of the living God? You know, it's sad that sometimes you'll see things and, and people will pretend to be Christians or tell people they're Christians, and maybe they even are, but then they walk around looking like they've been sucking on a lemon. You ever met, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, right? And they walk around, they're bummed out all the time, and there's no joy. Oh, I can't wait to meet your God, right? That's just great. They're bitter all the time, they're angry all the time. Oh yeah, man, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. And you know, the amazing part is, back when I used to work full-time, i go out on sales calls, I'd be talking to people, and they'd be cussing and screaming and bitter and angry and, and ripping on his wife and talking about the co-worker and yelling, and then he'd find out I'm a pastor, and they'd... <laughs> I'm a Christian too, right? Christian face comes on, <laughs> comes around like the head spin. Oh, I'm a Christian too. God bless you, brother, right? And they, they, they don't have love. They don't have joy. They put on the Christian face on Sunday morning. You know, the guy is screaming at his wife in the parking lot as they're parking the car and then comes in and says, God bless you, brother. Praise the Lord, right? I mean, there needs to be love all the time. Amen? It's the, it's the manifestation of the spirit of the living God living inside of us. It's a commandment from God. It's not a suggestion. The world is filled with pride and anger and jealousy and violence. And as Christians abiding in Christ, we're to show the world the supernatural love of God. You know what? I, I'll tell you what. The greatest and, and best compliment that I've ever received as a Christian in 35 years of being a Christian is when our youth group in San Jose, we were seeing young people come to the Lord and I heard more than one time that they said, Pastor Dave, I know that Jesus loves me because when I came here, you loved me. I knew when you told me that Jesus loved me, I knew it was true because all the kids here loved me. And I saw it in them before you even told me. So when you said it, I said, oh, that's true because they're loving me that same way. May people who come into Calvary Santa Cruz know the love of God. Amen? May we be just loving on people so when they hear what the Word of God has to say, they say, you know, that's true, because I've seen it in the way you love each other, and I've seen it in the way that you love me. It's God's commandment to us that we love one another. Verse 13, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. True love requires sacrifice. The word there for love is agape. We've talked about this many times. The word agape is a selfless love, I love someone or something outside of itself more than itself. You know, we use the word love, we toss it around in our language. You know, I love tacos, I love the 49ers, I love my wife, right? Those would better be different, amen? I'd better have a different priority on loving my wife. Well, in the, the, in the Greek, agape is a selfless love. It's the kind of love a mother has for its child. 
It's a kind of love that never stops. It's a kind of love that esteems something outside of itself greater than itself. And Jesus says here, greater agape, greater selfless love has no one than this than to lay it on one's life for his friends. Now it's interesting because Jesus is hours away from being arrested. And he's about to lay down his life for his friends. Amen? He's letting them know, you're my friends. I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to give you the example of what it means to love others. You know, I'm blown away by the way some of you guys have loved me. Some of you guys, the things you do, you don't think it's a big deal, but it blesses me and, I can, and it just really encourages my heart. People coming over and doing stuff for me without even you know, me knowing about it. What a blessing. And it's them loving me and it encourages me. And that's the way we ought to all be with each other. When I hear about the way some of you guys will take a Saturday and go over to somebody's house that has no money and fix their car, that doesn't seem like a big deal. But to that person, that's loving them. Amen? That's showing them, you know what? It's not about me laying around by the pool on Saturday. I want to come minister to you. I want to esteem you greater than myself. I want to, I want to have a, a relationship with you that, that is more important about blessing you than me being comfortable. That's what happens in the body of Christ. That's what should be happening, amen? We should be loving and esteeming each other greater than ourselves, laying down our life. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to die physically, but you need to die to your will, amen? Somebody's got to die. If we're going to serve people, it can't be about what I desire. It's got to be what He desires. Verse 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You are my friends. I'm going to lay down my life for you. You're a part of my inner circle if you do what I command you. And again, it blows me away that Jesus considers me His friend. You're the delight of His heart. Do you know the Bible says you're His treasured possession? Next time you don't feel like you're very valuable, remember this. How do you determine the value of something? What somebody's willing to pay for it. How valuable are you to God? He'd rather die than live without you. You're His treasured possession. He loves you so very much. The world will tell you, oh, you have no value. And the Lord says, look at the cross. You are so valuable to me. I'd rather die than live without you. And He says, you are my friends. But look what it says there. The fruit of true friendship with God requires that we walk in obedience. Amen? If you're his friend, you're going to obey him. Amen? Do you trust God? Does God know what's best for your life? Can I hear an amen? Does God know what's best for your life? He knows what's best. He loves you guys so very much. But so often, I'm, I'm guilty of this myself, I'll make the mistake of thinking I know better than God. Well, the Bible says this, but I got my own plan. Well, the Word of God says to seek first the kingdom of God, but I can put it third. You know, I can, I can have my job be first, and then my, you know, my relationship with my family, then, then God can be third. That's still in the top five. That's pretty good. You know, we do these things, and we don't put God first, and we start to desire the things of the world, and then all of a sudden, our life starts going sideways, and we wonder what happened. He says, you are my friends if you are obedient to my commands. Obedience is the highest form of what? Worship. It's one thing to sing, I surrender all. It's another thing to do it. Amen? It's walking in holiness. It's desiring to serve Him above all else. Why? Because you trust Him. You know, sometimes God will tell us things and we don't see the circumstances around us. We don't realize what danger we're in. For the analogy of a, a father crying out to his son, drop to the ground and crawl to me as fast as you can. And the boy in obedience to his dad dropped to the ground and crawled as fast as he could. And when he got to his father, he found out that there was a snake hanging from the branch right above his head, about to bite him. If the kid had said, well, why do I need to do that? I, well, I'm thinking about, I'd rather just stand here for a minute. <laughs> right? Game over, right? And sometimes with God, we want to question him. Well, I don't see why I need to do He's God. You're not. He knows a little better than you. Amen? Aren't you glad that God is in control and not you? I'm glad God's in control and not you and not me. Amen? And so we need to trust Him and trust His Word that He knows what's best for us. We're His friends and we obey His commands. What an awesome God that we serve. Verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. As His friends, He illuminates His truth to us. When we abide in Him, He gives us a better understanding of what life is all about. Amen? Is the world looking for the answer to the meaning of life? You know what? We have it. Amen? The meaning of life is Jesus. The meaning of life is being grafted into the vine. 
The meaning of life is knowing Jesus Christ him crucified and risen from the dead. The meaning of life is becoming a new creation in Christ. The meaning of life is knowing that I'm going to heaven to spend eternity with Almighty God, that he'll never leave me or forsake me. What an awesome God we serve, amen? And the world's looking for the answer, and we have it. He reveals truth to us as we abide in him. You know what? It's amazing to me that the more I can read the same chapter in the Bible 500 times, and as my walk continues to grow in the Lord, the, the greater things he will reveal to me through his word. Amen? Isn't that true? And so he's saying, he's going to illuminate truth. You're his friend, and as you follow his commands, and as you abide in him, and as you go deeper in your walk with him, the greater you're going to be able to understand truth. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it. Now listen, he chose us to bear fruit. He didn't choose us to be pew potatoes. Amen? He didn't choose us to be Christians for an hour on Sunday, and for some of us, an hour on Wednesday. He chose us and appointed us to be grafted into the vine, to be conduits for His Spirit, to bear fruit, and to impact a lost and a dying world. Amen? God chose us to be on the front lines of the battle. God chose us to be children in His army. Amen? Soldiers in His army. He didn't just choose us so we could say, well, pray that prayer. There it is. I'm set. You know, again, praise the Lord. We have the surety of heaven if we're abiding in Him. But if we're abiding in Him, the surety of heaven won't be enough. Amen? If you're truly abiding in Christ, just going to, he- going to heaven is awesome. It doesn't get any greater than that. But he did, if, if that was what it was all about, we'd all be sitting on a mountain somewhere just waiting for heaven. But God didn't do that. He called us to use us. May we finish strong. Amen? May we live lives sold out for Him. You know, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Nothing else is going to matter when we get to heaven. He's not going to ask for my 401k. He's not going to ask for my stock portfolio. He's not going to want to see a diagram of my 6,000 square foot house up on the hill. None of that's going to, it's all going to be irrelevant in heaven. Amen? But what we do for Him will be eternal. What you give away, what you, how you serve others, that's the stuff that matters. That's the stuff that will last. As you abide in Him, you will bear fruit. He chose you to bear fruit. He chose you to have an impact on this world. You know what? It's amazing to me. God could just open up sky, the sky and say, I'm God. He could do that, right? Repent. You have three seconds. I mean, He could do that. He could totally do that. One you know, to, well, I, no, that's it, right? He could do that. But instead, what does he choose to do? He chooses to use the people sitting in the chairs in this room. Isn't that awesome? He doesn't open the sky. He said, instead, I'm going to pour my spirit out upon my people, and I'm going to let them tell people about me. What a blessing. What a privilege that we have to be his soldiers, to be used for his glory. And again, bearing fruit is not based on our good works, but the fact that God chose us and that we're grafted into Him. That's how we bear fruit. We don't bear fruit because we try harder. I remember I talked to you last week about how an apple tree, you ever, you ever see an apple tree striving to have, to, make it, to have an apple come out? Right? You don't go by an apple tree. It's not screaming when you go by, ah, trying to get an apple out of its branches, right? It just happens naturally, right? Because it's healthy. It's grafted in. And the same should be true of us as Christians. It shouldn't be this thing where, oh, I'm born these fruit, and I better start bearing some fruit, right? I mean, oh, bear some fruit. That's not what happens. Get grafted into Jesus, spend time in the Word, fall in love with the Lord, and you will not be able to help it. You'll be bearing fruit all over the place. Amen? You'll be loving that coworker at work, and they'll be going, what is up with you, man? Why? I don't get it, right? It's Jesus. That's what's up with me. Amen? Start praying for your coworkers by name. Start praying for your neighbors by name. Pray for an opportunity to love them. Go watch the next-door neighbor's car sometime. Go mow his lawn, right? Take a pie next door. Just love people. The guy at work that's got a bad attitude, yelling and screaming, man, just go love them. You know, bro, it sounds like you're going through something heavy. Can I pray for you? He might yell at you some more, but that's okay. Love people. God called us that we might bear fruit, and it should be a get-to and not a have-to. Amen? We don't bear fruit to prove we're saved. I better bear some fruit, so i got to prove it. i got to prove it. I'm going to get there early and set up some chairs to prove that I'm bearing fruit, right? No, we do it because we want to, because we get to. It's a natural outpouring of being an apple tree to have apples growing out of you, amen? And as Christians, it's just a natural outpouring of who we are in Christ that we bear fruit. 
Verse 17. These things I command you that you love one another. And the word there for command is to give a charge. He says, I charge you guys. I'm getting ready to go away. Love each other. Now, it's interesting to me because what were these guys doing just a few hours earlier sitting around the table when Jesus went to wash their feet? What were they arguing about? Who remembers? Who's greatest? I'm great. Dude, I'm way greater than you. I was in the Mount of Transfiguration while you were napping, man. Don't even come near me, man. Dude, you you privileged to stand next to me, right? I mean, you can just see these guys just dogging on each other. He told me that I'm beloved. He told me that the Holy Spirit revealed this to to me. Hey, you were there. He said it to me, not you, right? And, you know, I was sitting next to him at this supper. You were like eight places away. You were not even close to the place of honor. These guys were dogging on each other, and the Lord looks at him and says, Guys, I exhort you to love each other. Don't be talking about who's greater. My church better than your church. Right? Are we supposed to be doing that? My, my, yeah, well, we got this. Well, our church, we, you know, and you guys just don't get it. And yeah, you know, that's weak. Amen? You know what? Praise God for everyone who's teaching God's word. Doesn't matter which lifeboat they get in as long as they get to shore. Amen? That's what it's all about. I'm praying every day for the churches in Santa Cruz County. I'm praying that God will light a fire in the pastors and bring revival in Santa Cruz County. Whether they come here, they go to Santa Cruz Bible, or whatever church in town, and the Word of God's being taught, pray for Santa Cruz Bible. They're looking for a pastor. Let's, I'm praying that God will bring the guy that's going to be in love with those people and have a shepherd's heart. Amen? And you know what? And if you're called to be here, God bless you. I'm glad you're here. Praise God. But we're not the only church in Santa Cruz. Amen? And he's saying, you know what? Love each other. Don't pick at each other. Don't tear each other down. Love each other. And we need to be loving the other believers here in Santa Cruz. We need to be loving each other. We need to be esteeming the name of God higher. Now, not only are we to love each other, but look what's next. It says here that as we love one another, that the world's going to respond to us in a different way. We're esteeming others greater than ourselves. We got that joy of Jesus, others, yourself. How is the world going to respond to us? How does the world feel about Christians? Look what it says here, in cha- and, and uh, before I do, I want to quote a couple of verses to you. The Lord had openly taught them repeatedly that they were going to face persecution. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets before you. So if you're bearing fruit, and you're abiding in Christ, and you're living a sold-out life, you are going to face persecution. Well, I don't ever face any persecution. Then you're not living sold out. Amen? I'm an undercover Christian. I'm, I'm working the same place 11 years. Nobody even knows I'm saved. Right? Right? Another day, no one found out. I'm still undercover. You know what the reality is, but if you're abiding, and you're in love with the Lord, and you're loving on people, then you're going to face persecution, because Jesus said so. He's God. Amen? Created the universe. He knows what he's talking about. In Matthew 10, it says, And you will be hated by all for my sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. You're going to face persecution. You're going to face hatred from the world. You know what? You might not think that we face it, and we don't face it as much in this country as in other countries. There's people that by saying they're Christian, they have a death warrant on their head. Do you know that? In the world today, there are people who have a death warrant on their head because they're Christians. But what, how do they portray Christians? You ever, I don't watch a, a ton of it, but you, you watch TV, and what do you see them? How, how are Christians portrayed? Whack jobs, right? Bunch of, bunch of nutcases, right? It's always somebody just, just way out of kilter, and, and, and they're, they're idiots, and they're, they're real narrow, and they're this, and they're this, and they're this. And they've got all these things that they do to portray Christians. You know what that is? Because they hate God. That's reality. And if you continue through the text, we're going to see that. And 2 Timothy says, yes, you and all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. As Christians, we need to be careful that we are not to love the world. We're to love people, but we're not to love the world. Amen? It says in 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of of God abides forever. Amen to that. That's a great verse to memorize. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. 
Do not love the world. Don't be so consumed with that which is passing away. It's deck chairs on the Titanic. It's a sinking ship. Why are we so worried about where our seat is? Amen? He's saying, don't love the world and the lust of it. Desire to know God. And do not be conformed to it. Don't love the world. Don't be conformed to it. Romans 12. Most of you know this verse by heart. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Now, we're going to go through these verses real quick, and I'm going to talk to you about why the world hates Christians. And I want to ask you a question. If I took a video camera, I may have said this to you many times before, but if I took a video camera and I followed you around for a week and I videotaped everything you said, everything you said to your wife, everything you said to your husband, everything you said to your kids, everything you did at work, and this video camera could also tape your thought life, and then I put you on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would they see you in the Word? Would they see you praying for your neighbor? Would they see you having a burden for the lost? Would they see fruitfulness in your life? Or would they say, dude, you're just like everybody else. You ain't no Christian. You're fine. Free to go, right? Would they see you getting up and yelling at your family? Would they see you bitter at your boss at work? Would they see your Bible sitting in the corner collecting dust until next Sunday? I mean, would they see you a, a transformed life or would they see you just like the world? You know, God wants us to be in the world but not of the world. He wants us to be different than the world. But understand that the world's not gonna love you and that's okay. Because you know what? Who's the ruler of this world? Satan. I don't care much for, I, I hate Satan. Hate him. Hate him, okay? And you know what? He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And the good news is, he's game over. He's soon to be toast, and he knows it. Amen? And his desire is to destroy us and to distract us. And this, he's the prince of the power of the air. And you know what? You can have it. He and the Jehovah's Witnesses can have the earth, right? They think they're going to inherit the earth. I'm going to heaven. How about you? Amen? And praise God for that. But the world does not love us because the world is ruled by the enemy. Let's look at verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. The number one reason the world hates us is we're identified with Jesus. The world hated Jesus and it hates us. If you identify yourself with Christ, the world will hate you. Period. That's what the Lord just said in that verse. Again, Satan hates the Lord. The world hates righteousness. It hates a holy standard that forces him to, to measure his own heart. Why, do, why does the world hate the Lord? Why did they hate the Lord? Jesus came and healed people and loved people and then died for people and they hate him. Why in the world? What possible reason could people have? Why do people say, take Jesus' name in vain, but no one ever swears about Buddha? Have you ever noticed that? No one ever says, oh, Buddha. I've never heard one person ever say that. Hare Krishna. I've never heard anybody say that, right? Nobody says that. But they take Jesus' name in vain all the time. Why is that? He's a loving God. He suffered and died that we might have eternal life. All he did was raise people from the dead and love people and serve people and they hate him. You know why? Because his holiness causes them to examine themselves and they see their sin. And they want to put that away. And when you're identified with Christ and you are a Christian and a follower of His and you live a sold-out life for Him, it makes people uncomfortable. I don't, you know what? I, don't talk to me about that. You ever witness to somebody and they just... Right? I, I've had people do that to me. Bro, you know, the Lord... The Lord! Don't talk to me about the Lord! Right? I, I'm just going to tell you that He loves you. I, don't tell me that He loves me. I don't want to... You know, bro, Relax. I'm not hitting you in the head with a mallet. I'm telling you that God loves you. And they, and they get all panicked and go sideways. And the reason is that the world realizes that with the, in the light of the holiness of God that I'm a sinner. When I look at Him, I see how far short I fall. When I look at the world, I can look like a pretty good guy. But when I look at Jesus Christ, I'm going to fall short. And as His followers, our words and our actions point people to Christ. It causes a sinning world to hate us because it hates Him. Anytime I'm in the same boat with Jesus, man, I like that. Amen? He said, you know what? They hated me. They're going to hate you. Oh, that's good. Praise the Lord. Because, Lord, if they treated you that way and they're going to treat me that way, I must be doing something right. Now, we don't go out there and, yeah, I got persecuted today. You know, go, go down the street go, dude, you're going to fry in hell if you don't get, oh, he persecuted me. Praise the Lord. Blessed am I when I don't persecute you. That's not what the Lord wants. He wants us to love people supernaturally 
and then know that we will be persecuted, but it's okay because God's faithful. He's on the throne. He's in control. So number one, we are going to be, when we're identified with Christ, the world hates us. You know what's interesting to me? When Saul was persecuting the church, Saul of Tarsus, who later became the Apostle Paul, what did Jesus say when he appeared to him? Saul was out killing Christians, on a road to kill Christians. He said, why do you persecute who? Me. When the world persecutes us, they are persecuting our Savior. When we suffer on his behalf, he suffers with us. When they were, perse- when they were persecuting the Christians, he says, why do you persecute me? So the world hates us, number one, because we're identified with Christ. Verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would, ha- would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The number, the number two reason why the world hates us is because we don't belong to the world. You know what the world loves more than anything else? Conformity. Right? Just go with the flow, man. Lighten up, dude. You don't have to be so different, man. Just be like us. Right? And the reality is, that's what we typically do. You know, we all dress the same. We go to the same, you know. Go to high school sometime. Look at a bunch of lemmings you ever saw in your life, right? I, I mean, I used to make up words when I was in high school, and then within a week, everybody was using it, right? I mean, people just are followers, we're all following something. We're all following somebody. And the world just wants us to conform and fit in. And man, don't rock the boat, dude, man. Lighten up. Right? And the Lord's telling us here, if you were of the world, the world would love you. If you would just be like the world. Dude, if you were all about chasing the bucks and cheating on your wife, the world would love you. If it was all about the money and how good you look, and if it was all about working out six hours a day and being, trying to be yoked and, and doing all the stuff that the world loves and admires, the world would think you're a wonderful person. But because you say, you know what, that's not important to me. I desire to serve God above all that. Oh, dude, whoa, back up, man. You know, just relax. Be like the world. But if you're not like the world, the world will hate you. As long as you follow the fads and the fashions and the values of the world, you'll get along. Be politically correct and everybody will love you. You know what, it's not politically correct to be a Christian. Amen? It's not politically correct to say, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by which means there is no other path to heaven. Oh, dude, that's narrow. Uh, yeah, that's right. Jesus said narrow is the path that leads to salvation and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Oh, man. Dude, relax, man. Go with the flow, man. Let, you know, come on, man. Fit in with the world. There's got to be many paths to God. Uh, yeah, there are many paths to God, but only one leads to heaven. Amen? The reality is that all other paths are saying that you can do it yourself. You can be holy enough. You can be good enough. You can be righteous enough. Let me make it real clear. If you didn't know when you got here, no, you can't. Amen? You're sinners in need of a Savior. God is not the tree. Okay? The Spirit is not in the, the create. The Bible says in the end times, people worship the creation rather than the creator. Pray for my landlords, my, the managers of my, my, my uh, the place where I live, the trailer park where I live, Okay? That's right, double wide. Okay, now, I went down there to ask for permission to use the swimming pool for Linda's baptism on Friday, which was a blessing, by the way. And in talking to them, they started talking to me about the Lord, and they're in this thing called Ekankar. Anybody ever heard of that? And I was like, what? I never heard, it's Hinduism with another name when I looked it up. But the reality is that they, one grew up in a cult and one grew up in something else, and as long as you just have this belief, I'm like, well, what's your belief based on? Well, it's... The sound and the light of God. What is that? And what, what do you, do you have any scriptures? Well, not really. And what, what do you think about Jesus? Well, Jesus is, he's a good guy. Well, would a good guy lie? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to, oh, that's too narrow. Go with the flow, man. You know, if that path works for you, let me have my own path. You're on a bus driving off a cliff. That's not a good path. Amen? I'm not going to let you have that path. The reality is that Jesus is the only way. And the world will hate you if you don't become like the world. The world wants you to talk like them, to, to act like them, to be like them, and when you're different, they don't like it. Man, just relax. Don't be putting your beliefs on me. You know what? When we become crea- Christians, we're a new creation in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And we become the salt and the light of the world. And a dark world doesn't want any lights, and a decaying world doesn't want any salt to preserve it. They don't want it. Just, just, just be dying and decaying like the rest of us. Right? Don't be light. We don't like that. So the number two reason is that as we follow Christ and we love the Lord, we don't belong to the world. Number three, 
Verse 20, 21. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Number three reason why the world's going to hate you is they're spiritually ignorant. What did he just say in the second part of 21? Because they do not know him who sent me. I don't care how religious you are. I don't care if you've been going to church 500 years. I don't care if you crawled on glass to Mecca on your knees. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know God. Amen? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you do not have a relationship with God. And you will never become God. You cannot. Impossible. You're a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. And the world says, well, you know, I don't know the true and living God, but I've got my own way. And he's saying, look, if you don't know God, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you cannot know the Father. If you don't have a relationship with the Son, you cannot know the Father. It's a very clear message. I am so glad the gospel is so simple. How about you? Amen? Aren't you glad? You're a sinner. You need a Savior. Jesus, God's Son, was sent to earth. He suffered and died and took all of your sin upon himself. Three days later, he proved he was God. He rose from the dead. He's in heaven preparing a place for you. He's coming back to take his children home. Do you believe this? That's the gospel. Amen? We don't have to take a 27-week seminar on how to become a Christian. It's just understanding that simple truth. But the world is ignorant of the truth. Then the world chooses to be ignorant to the truth. They don't understand. We'll be persecuted because they don't know God. They'll persecute us for the same reason. They're spiritually dead. They're ignorant. They're blind. The religious world today claims to know God or even to be God. But they refuse to bow their knee. Satan has blinded their eyes. Sin has blinded their hearts. Again, if they don't know Jesus Christ, they don't truly know God. And they will hate us because they're ignorant of the truth. You know, they're so convinced about the, the rightness of their religion, they'll persecute God's people. What do you think flying into the Twin Towers was all about? Who did that? The Muslims. Oh, well, Islam's not a, a, a they don't hate, they hate, yeah, they do hate. If, you know what, the, their, their whole message is that Christians are the great Satan and they love to kill every single one of you. Who do you think's behind that religion? Satan. I got no problem, put this on the radio. Mo, the Muslim faith, the Muslim faith is backed by Satan. We'll be getting calls when this goes on there in a few weeks, that's okay. But here's the reality. We, you know what, that, that most people, now we love the Muslims. We have a burden for them. But they're ignorant to the truth and they hate you. We have the truth. We know the true and living God, and they're going to hate you. Their doctrine is a lie. The way the first Muslims became Muslims is Muhammad went around with his gang, and they stuck knives in people's throats and said, if you do not confess that Muhammad is, is the prophet and Allah is God, we're going to slit your throat. They had a lot of converts, right? People didn't want to die. You either died or you became a Muslim. Praise God that the thing happened in Iraq, because if nothing else, maybe God will bring some churches that teach God's word in there, and we need to pray for that. Amen. Praise God for our president. I'm, God bless him. I'm glad we did it. Because we need to have an opportunity for Jesus Christ to be lifted up there. That's why it's what it's all about. So the world will hate you because we're identified with Christ. We don't belong to the world because they're ignorant. Verse 22. If they did not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. The number, three reason, number four reason, excuse me, the world will hate you and persecute you, is that Jesus and his word reveals their sinfulness. Rather than repent, they want to keep it down. Just recently, some guy up in San Lorenzo Valley put this thing nationwide wanting to take under God out of the Little League pledge. You guys see that? We can't be, we can't be having our kids say under God in the Little League pledge. That's inflicting religion on people. We need a little Jesus inflicted on everybody. Amen? People apologize and say, oh, well, yeah, we've got to separate church and say, no, we don't. The state needs a lot more of the church. Amen? We need more Jesus. People, oh, we got to, oh, we got to, no, we can't, uh, we got to respect, not, no, you know what, I, not me. I, do you respect Buddhism? No, I don't respect Buddhism. It's a lie from the pit of hell, I don't respect it. Oh, Pastor Dave, that's not politically correct. Well, God bless him anyway. Here's the reality, you guys. We are called to be sold out, set apart, and different. And the Lord's saying, it's very clear here, as you look at this, that the world's going to hate you because you speak the truth of God's word and it convicts them of their sin and they don't want to hear it. Man, don't put your Christian music on in the job site. That convicts me. I don't want, taking God we trust off our money. The ACLU has spent, the Anti-Christian Liberties Union, ACLU, 
They have spent more money trying to get in God we trust off of our coins than I can even count. Because they don't want it to have to look at it. Because it's convicting. God, we I don't believe in God. You know what I mean? It convicts them. They want to shut us down and keep us quiet. The world will hate you if you walk around with a Christian t-shirt on. If you're, if, you're, if you're in love with the Lord. I love the Lord. Oh man, dude, you're killing me. Stay away from me. They don't want you around. And they want to silence the word of God. We've got to get the Ten Commandments out of the school. We've got to teach our kids that they came from monkeys. And then we've got to, tell, we've got to take down the thing that says, Thou shalt not kill. And then we, we're surprised when they act like monkeys. Right? I mean, we need to teach them the truth. That God created you in His image to have a relationship with Him. And He loves you so much, He'd rather die than live without you. I guess I'm preaching a little bit this morning. but God, oh, Praise the Lord. All right. The world will portray you how? You're a religious fanatic. Right? You ever been called that? You're a narrow-minded bigot. I've heard that one. Oh, you're a narrow-minded bigot. You're a homophobe. I've heard that one, too. Homophobe. Why? Because I say homosexuality is a sin. By the way, homosexuality is a sin. It's a sin. So is adultery. So is fornication. So is drunkenness. Sin. 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 All of it. And am I a sinner? Yeah. Am I uh, one beggar leading another beggar to the bread? That's me. Am I a sinner in desperate need of a Savior? Am I saved only by grace? Yes. Am I holier than thou? No. Am I perfect? Not, not even close. Ask my wife, ask my kids, ask people who know me. I blow it. I need Jesus. I'm desperate for him. But when you make a stand for God, the world's going to call you names because it doesn't want to hear the message. It doesn't want to hear the truth. It wants you to shut up. We're almost done. Verse 23 and 24. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have been seen and also hated both me and my father. The number five reason they hate the son, they hate the father, and they hate his followers. They hate him. Hates all whom the spirit dwells. If you hate Jesus, you hate the father. If you hate Jesus and the father, you're going to hate us. If we're abiding in him. Amen? Remember Daniel? One of my favorite guys, I've already talked about him once. I love Daniel. What do they do to, to, to catch Daniel? What did they have to do? They had to pass a law forbidding what? Prayer. Prayer. You know why? Because they said, we can't find anything against this guy. The only thing we can find against this guy is his relationship with God, so we've got to outlaw it. Wouldn't it be awesome if the church in the United States was so in love with Jesus that they said, the only thing we could find against them is a relationship with God, so we've got to outlaw it. Wouldn't that be great? And you know what? That's the kind of relationship we should have with the Lord. That we are so closely knit to Him that they hate us because they hate the Father. Again, prayer under God, the Pledge of Allegiance, they're trying to eliminate all of that stuff. They hate the Lord. They hate Him. And they hate Him because they want to live their own life. They don't want to be convicted of their sin. And they're going to hate you if you're identified with Him. Verse 25. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. The last reason why... The world will hate you as it fulfills Scripture. The Bible said they would. The Bible says they're going to hate you. The Bible says they're going to persecute you. The Bible says, now, I'm not telling you all this. So you walk around with, oh, the whole world hates me. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm being persecuted for my faith. I'm going to wear black and put ashes on my head. That's not what I'm talking. Guys, I'm just telling you this so when it happens, you'll say, well, I knew that. The Bible told me so. You know, I, I love my boss, told him about the love of God, and he fired me. Well, okay, the Lord told me so. I, I shared the love of God with my neighbor, and, you know, he threw garbage in my backyard. That's okay, the Lord told me that that was going to happen. I mean, we should be prepared for the fact that we should love people, and when they don't respond in love, we should not be shocked. Don't be surprised when the world acts like the world, even when you're being faithful and obedient to love people the way the Lord wants you to. Amen? Because that's what God's Word says it, it would happen. Jesus hated without a cause, all he did, or loved without a cause, and they hated Jesus without a cause, excuse me, and all he ever did was heal the sick, raise the dead, teach the truth, lay down his life, and they hated him. When the world hates us, it's in fulfillment of prophecy, and again, may they hate us, they will hate us without a cause, not because we're being self-righteous. You being self-righteous and then being persecuted is not being obedient to the Lord. You going around, you know, standing on a street corner with a bullhorn. Have you ever seen anybody get saved at one of those, by the way? Guys standing on a box of bullhorn. You're all going to fry in hell. Come and repent. I've never seen anybody get saved at that. The Bible says they shall know us by the love. We have one for another again, right? Love people and let them see your good works. They may glorify your Father in heaven. 
And you might say, well, Pastor Dave, in closing, how can I, what's going to empower me to, to love people supernaturally, to live life as a friend of Christ, and to deal with the ridicule I'm going to get from the world? Look at the last two verses. But when the Helper comes, who's the Helper? Holy Spirit. When the Helper comes, whom I, I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have, you have been with me from the beginning. Now he's speaking specifically to the apostles, but here's what's interesting, you guys. The Father sent the Spirit to testify of the Son. Right? The Spirit was sent by the Father to testify of the Son. Where does the Spirit live today? Where does He live? In us. What should we be doing? Testifying of the Son. And how are we going to have power to, to love supernaturally? How are we going to have power to deal with the persecution that comes from the world? We're going to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's why every day we need to be praying, Lord, fill me afresh with your Spirit. May I decrease that your spirit within me would increase. It's hard to love people who hate you. It's impossible to do it in your flesh. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Through Him, I can do great things. And so in closing, as I abide in Christ, I will produce fruit. We will be able to love supernaturally, to walk in obedience to God's command, and to endure persecution from a lost and dying world. Don't be surprised when the world acts like the world. Just love them anyway. Amen? Because that's what the Lord did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us alone as we desire to, to be your children. Father God, I thank you that you did send your helper, that we might supernaturally love a world that is so in desperate need of you. Lord, I pray, Father God, that we would live lives sold out and set apart. And Father God, when persecution does come, that we would respond to that in love as well. Lord, that we would love people right into your kingdom. Father God, that they would see the love of Christ abiding in, your, in the truth, Father God, flowing out of us, bearing fruit to a lost and dying world that so desperately needs you. Father, I do lift up Santa Cruz County to you, Father. I pray for every person in this room who has unsaved family members. We pray for every brother, every son, every daughter, every father, every mother, every aunt, uncle, and grandparent, every cousin, Father God, that doesn't know you. And we pray, Father God, that you would use us to minister your truth to them. We pray also for our neighbors that don't know you and our co-workers, Father. And Lord, may we just love them supernaturally. May we manifest your love to them. May we bear fruit in the workplace and in our homes and, and to our families, Father God. And Lord, above all, we want to do it for one reason, that you would be glorified and that your kingdom would be added to. So Lord, we love you. We praise you. Help us to walk in obedience to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close with a worship song.